0: Good afternoon. Happy New Year. Happy 2024, everyone. This is Living Out Loud. I'm Mary Morton and excited to welcome, as our first co host for the year, the fabulous, the brilliant Tracy Hall.
1: Wow. First. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes. This is the first show of the new year. Welcome. Oh, doubly excited. Thank you for having me, Mary. I am. I'm excited. Just about even in our in our preparation for this, uh, this show, uh, just so many great uh, ideas and comments, and we're hopefully going to share those with you. Um, so we're going to be talking to Tracy about all kinds of things today. And let me just say, I, I believe Cat Williams may have come up. I'm just... <laughs> 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 because how could it not? Um, but we're also going to be talking to our good friend, Daniel Ash, yes. right from the Field Foundation. So excited to hear from Daniel as well. But we always like to start, Tracy, with a little host chat. So, you know, we were just talking about when did we meet each other? I've always known you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey. No, seriously. I mean, I feel that way. We, you know, we. it was hard for us to pin it down. Yes. Right. Yes. That's right. Um, that's right. But I think I was working for global corporate citizenship at Boeing yes, when I met you I, I because that's you were someone that everyone talked about your consultancy. Oh, that's very um, kind. That's nice to
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone has so much respect for you. Thank you. I appreciate that very much. So that's been... 2000, what, 2007, 2008? 2007 or something like that, Okay, yep. Okay, all right, so a little bit of time. And tell folks a little bit about your background, because you are not a, a native Chicagoan, but we yeah. are claiming you as our own. Yes, and I claim Chicago. I'm a native Angelino,
1: so I was born and raised uh, in Los Angeles, and of course that is rarer these days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually came to Chicago to work. Um, I came to Chicago... Um, I was a librarian and I've, you know, worked in um, librarianship and in arts administration, Mm -hmm. cultural administration and in philanthropy, um, you know, my entire career. And so I came, uh, I was living in in New Haven. I was working at the Hartford Public Library when Mm. I came here to work for the American Library Association, where I um, directed the office of what is now uh, diversity and outreach.
0: Oh, really? So you've done a full circle there.
1: I didn't realize you would worked for the ALA. Yeah, earlier yes, in your earlier. career. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and just, you know, just most recently, um I left uh ALA, you know, as executive director. You sure did. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so now I am in a new space of scholarship, um travel. Travel, Yeah, lots of travel, lots of, you know, uh speaking engagements and and really, you know, figuring out what it means to be I'm I'm saying that this period is going into the wild, like really trying to get at some of the big thorny issues that, you know, I've been thinking about uh, and working on Mm -hmm. pretty much all my career.
0: But tell us in between... coming to Chicago, some of the stops along the way, because I know you worked in Brooklyn for a while as well. Queens! The, Queens. Queens! Okay, I'm yes, sorry. Queens I'm sorry. That's a big no, <laughs> no, shout out to Brooklyn, but I was in yeah. Queens, you know, okay. and
1: uh, I love Queens. I think Queens is, you know, a really great, it's, you know, it's a great borough. Mm-hmm. I think people are really beginning to understand that. Um, but also, I think it is a great library town, has one of the greatest libraries, one of the most used libraries in the world, and that's really? Queens Library. I think Queens, uh Toronto Public, um, you know, there are a few other libraries out there, you know, definitely within the New York system, L.A., et cetera, that are these Uber libraries that have millions and millions of visitors each year. I know for Queens, um, when I was there and even now, uh, you know, there's about 11 to 12 million visitors a year. So we're talking about super uh, service libraries, and I really wow. cut my teeth. You know, I cut my teeth at Seattle Public Library, where I lived and worked. So, okay. so yeah, <laughs> you
0: traveled a bit in your, in your in your career, bit. yeah. Yes. So we've done work uh, and and are still working in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Seattle's a great town as well. Seattle's a great
1: town. Yeah, Seattle. Expensive, you know, I learned but a, lot. a great town. <laughs> it wasn't as expensive when I
0: lived I'm there. I'm sure. You yeah. Know? So when
1: I was living there, I was meeting people like Courtney Love, and you know, of course, um, you know the members of the Screaming Trees, one of whom we. Um, Um, You know, lost recently. Uh, So we had grunge was becoming. Mm. So, you know, Mm -hmm. now getting older, you know, there's some there's some movements that I got a chance to sort of see, especially in terms of the arts. There's like some themes um, and, uh, you know, and and styles
0: that I got a chance to really see grow and develop. You know, I think people uh, may not also know that Seattle was really where a lot of the. um, I would say more institutionalized and formalized racial equity work started in yes, this country. Yes. Because we went to Seattle when um, we were starting a safe schools um, group here because Seattle was leading the way in that work. And yeah. Seattle had folks in in uh, government already with those titles uh, around equity work. And so I th- just hats off to Community Seattle. Community policing. Commun- yes, absolutely. You know, housing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you
1: know, there are a lot of things. I mean, I think I definitely... Always say that uh, Seattle was really one of the formidable. Um sort of places for like how I think, you know, about about things, certainly in terms of librarianship mm-hmm. um, for sure, but also in terms of cultural administration, housing, just a social justice agenda and how that really has to be attendant because mm-hmm. it's also a place where we got a chance to sort of see the real uh, wage disparity that now I think characterizes right. lots of other uh, cities, whether it's a, a, a Seattle, um, a San Francisco, and that's something right. that we actually have to stand against now. that's right um, There's a lot that we know. One thing for sure, is that we cannot let Chicago become so unaffordable that the the stewardship class, the people who are going to um, use uh, the local services, uh, you know, send their children to the public schools that we don't with uh, that we don't price um, people who are the stewardship class outside That's of right. um, a city like Chicago. So they can't
0: access it. Can't access services.
1: Right. Can't really live in the city. Right. 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 Because yeah. at some point, when when cities are only accessible by the uber wealthy what
0: we find is that the investment is very different oh my god absolutely so here's here's one other thing i want to check in with you on it's you know it's a new year yeah right uh 2024 i it's un, i can't believe we're at the beginning of a new year <laughs> right. um what what do you do any particular traditions yes. um yeah what do you what do you do to get yourself going in a new year well, you know, you're always supposed to be cleaning and, you know, yes. my tradition did you make black some eye black eyed piece piece? and all that <laughs> kind of
1: stuff, you know, trying to make sure. But, you know, for me of late, just really being intentional and being a little bit quiet. Right. Yes. Um, and and this year, you know, some friends and I got together, and we were I was on the East Coast, and we got together, and we actually did some road mapping, just being really intentional hmm. about like what what do we want to sort of see happen in three year increments, and and that was something I really needed because this has been a whirlwind year whirlwind year for me, mm-hmm. and I just hadn't had that opportunity be really to sit down, be intentional, and really kind of like map things out. not that, that
0: really felt good. Well, when we had breakfast, that was something we talked about just kind of being still right yes taking a moment yes um yeah because as you said it's been a whirlwind of a year and um so so no resolutions per se but a road mapping and and you also we i know you mentioned and i've done vision boards as well i didn't do one for this year Yeah, i didn't
1: either Mm -hmm. i have one i'm still trying to you know that i look at all the time that i made a couple years ago um you know for me my intention is to spend more time with the people i love you know Mm -hmm. i we had some scares in our family last year and you know of course lost some friends Mm -hmm. and then um, towards the end of the year I lost my dad Mm -hmm. and and so if there's anything that's going to sort of make you readjust and realign your priorities is losing people that you love Absolutely. and I am so blessed I have amazing people in my life and they're flung all around the world so right now I feel like I'm you know on this tour trying to make sure that I see you know all of my beloveds and that I spend time and then also that I reassess um, my immediate sort of circle mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you you know, this is a time where we really need people who are going to support us that's and we right. us up, where reciprocity mm-hmm. is important. Yes, And so I'm really trying yes. to
0: figure out what that looks like too. Mm-hmm. I think that's, those are really important uh, points. And I too, am trying to be more uh, deliberate and intentional with my time. Yeah. Uh, I read a, s- a survey um, result uh, right before the holidays that said, 77% of the folks that have been surveyed, and I don't know what the, you know, the number was, but people were saying, I, I've been going to things that I really don't want to go to. Mm. Like, I'm often going to things that I don't want to go to, but I go to anyway. And I am really committed to not doing that, particularly yeah. post-COVID. And we're not even post-COVID. That's right, the other piece right, of it, right? right. Um, but just going, um, doing lots of multiple stops, it, was, it wouldn't be unusual for me to go to several events in an evening. Yeah. And I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I'm really trying to be one place Yes, and to make it count. And to be there. Be there. No, I'm be with present. You. Be fully yep. present. Yes. Right? And I think that, that in and of itself will uh, really um, have a domino uh, impact, if you will, on my life. Because I am somebody who is usually in many places. Right. And uh, I've just decided I, there's some things that I really want to do, to your point, and people that I really want to spend time with. And I think one of the ways I can do that is by being intentional.
1: Yeah. And being and being present. One one thing for sure, though, that I'm trying to work up my capacity uh, towards is really to make sure that I am present and out um, because I, I see a lot of our civic infrastructure. Um, mm-hmm. sort of fracturing because we are not um, coming together in the public square right. right people are isolating and they are in spaces that where they're incubating just like you know maybe their thought without anybody mm-hmm. oh, any, yeah. you know any sort of uh, interaction with others who may feel differently and i feel like when we get to that kind of place we lose our our tolerance and our ability to hear each other fully and so I'm really trying to challenge myself you okay. know to make sure that i'm out and I'm attendant because you know i if if I want to engage On a civic level,
0: I have to be able to be a part of community. That's right. That's right. Well, you know what? We're just getting started here on Living Out Loud. I'm here with Tracy Hall. I'm Mary Morton. We'll be back in a moment. Thank you, Gina Torres, and we have a um, a long interview coming up with Gina Torres, um, currently on what is it, nine eleven Lone Star, uh, and just a lovely person, really talented, and uh, I know you will enjoy that. But we are back with Tracy Hall, and Tracy, yes. this is where we talk a little bit about some of the news items um, from the past week, things that have caught our interest, and. I thought, uh, you know, it made sense for us to talk about Claudine Gay, oh, right. Goodness, the yes. um, now former president of Harvard University, she, uh, she is still going to be at Harvard, um, going back to teaching mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things. Um, however, the whole situation uh, that started a few months ago when she testified uh, in front of the committee uh, in DC. really has just plagued her uh, in a way that felt very familiar. And very unfair. What did you think about how this is uh, unfolded?
1: Yes. I mean, it is something that is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling like this unwanted streak of cynicism when she was announced. Mm. And I, even now, I have like something in the pit of my stomach. You know, it's so important that we speak. Truth to power, absolutely. Um, and so I'm going to try to move through it. But there was something that I felt even then, well before, obviously, um, you know what uh, the 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 war in Gaza started. But just about the temporality a uh-huh. lot of times uh-huh. of um, black women in particular um being appointed to roles like that. I mean I f- I think that we need to and we must do a study of all of um, the leaders of color, specifically I will say black women who were appointed to key positions um especially in the wake of George Floyd's murder. Yes. Um and 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 just do an audit. Are they still in those positions? Because there was a lot of EDI washing going on oh, absolutely. in the wake, but I remember thinking to myself that when and, you know, of course, we can't talk about um, Dr. Gay without talking about Elizabeth McGill of a um, pin, who also designed. Oh, that's right. that's um, right. You know, for you know, just being castigated, both of them um, uh, being asked in a lot of ways to kind of hold or be proxy for a conversation that's been hard for us for us to have around Gaza. Mm-hmm. But I remember thinking that when the Harvard community seemed to uh, unite um, uh, around Dr. Gay, I said to actually my cousin, who was a really um, astute uh, sort of study of the uh, public square um, and, and seemed to feel a little bit more relief than I was feeling, I said, oh, you wait. There's going to be more. And that's when we began to see people go after her scholarship. and uh, Around the plagiarism? Around. Yes. And, 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 oh, okay, if it wasn't plagiarism, then it wasn't proper citation. That's right. You know, so that's I right. think in, in a lot of ways, once again, we see um, the cognitive dissonance um, between what organizations, I think, instinctively feel that they need in order to be legitimate, in order to be resonant,
0: and then the powers that be doing everything that they can to go against that. And it's just not in um, the halls of higher education, right? It's throughout, certainly corporate, it's throughout nonprofit. This is something that black women have to deal with as they move up the ladder, if you will. Yeah, definitely. And I know, you
1: know, there are a lot of people listening, and I would say that I believe, in a lot of ways, that Black women operate today, especially um, in racialized capitalism and mm-hmm. um, in in gendered capitalism, as really mm-hmm. canaries in the coal mine, right? So we're not saying that only I'm not saying that only Black women are susceptible um, to what is happening now, but my goodness, when you just look at it, we have receipts longer than CVS. Absolutely, right? um, that that, yeah. that is absolutely
0: the case when we. <laughs> When, we, when you think about the fact that uh, certainly with the work that Morton Group does um, with regard, you know, w- re- around racial equity work, we know that so many folks who were placed in roles um, following George Floyd's murder, those folks have left those roles. They either were asked to leave or they left them because they were not getting in, any support in those roles. And there's a there's a reason for that, right? There, the interest, and I put that in air quotes, that people— said they had and the commitment that they said they had in working around um, equity issues, particularly as they relate to race, right? I mean, there's still this concern about, well, we don't want to lead with race because we're concerned that you're only going to talk about race, um, you know, in the organization. And what we try to, you know, make sure people understand is that race is still the number one indicator of someone's success in this country,
1: period. And all, you know, all sort of liberation struggles have to be... uh, we have to we have to see them as connected, and you know, of course, I'm I'm sort of paraphrasing Bayard Rustin, but you know, we can't ignore I think what continues um, to be the Achilles' heel in this country, and I and I really want to put this out there for people who are really interested in organizational development. Um, I think we don't cite or look enough at Frank Dobbin's work out of Harvard. Mm, um, mm. He is one of the people that has talked a lot about why diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, programs don't work. Mm -hmm. He said because many times what happens is that they're not followed by actually hiring people at the mid or executive leadership level. And he talks about the fact that when it comes to people of color, people of color, BIPOC uh, leaders tend to hire more BIPOC leaders than anyone else, but also promote white employees at higher rates. And they might be employed in, uh, they may be promoted in other places and uh, I have not heard that yeah oh yeah data. and then okay. of course he writes a lot with Alexandra Califf so I just want to uh, make sure that people get a chance to take a look Google right now Frank Dobbin he's one. He's somebody that I think has been so consistently saying the same thing you're going to find him a lot in um, you know the Harvard Business Review mm-hmm. you're going to find him a lot you know in Fast Company but, but read some of his studies and some of the people that, that write with him but again um, I do think that we need to have an audit of, of some of the leaders, especially Black women, who have been hired since uh, George Floyd and whether or not they still are in those positions, because that is going to tell us a lot. And it's going to tell us a lot about the culture of mediocrity that I think has taken over almost every sector no matter what the industry is there is we are still using uh ideals like innovation when in fact we're doing everything to oust the innovators that's right
0: that's right absolutely and i i just want to also mention with regard to resources the movement building project um they are based in new york and for the last several years have been doing a data collection um under the um umbrella of a project called race to lead and so they have gone back to organizations um, that they started to actually survey prior to COVID um, to really look at how have people of color moved forward or not, right? Because often what you will hear um, the general responses when you the general responses when you ask why aren't there more folks of color in leadership roles well we can't find any we right. we just don't know where to find them and that is not accurate. Um, if you're looking in the same places you've always looked, you're going to get the same people. And so what we often you know, try to talk to organizations about is you've got to do your recruitment in a different way. You've got to be willing to uh, become uncomfortable, yeah. perhaps, because as you were, I think, getting ready to mention, this intersectionality that people don't understand exist, right? right? And that we have multiple ways that we show up in the world, and they're all I want us to put the same energy
1: into promoting people uh, within the labor force, as we put into policing to keep them out of it, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. other thing that I I want to say in terms of where the casualties are, you know, of course, leaders of color, but I'm also, you know, as always, concerned about the welfare of children um, and families with children, because I also see um, the collateral damage happening in terms that young people and their welfare, um, you know, it's worsening, and and, and of course, again, we have receipts. So even though the, you know we're we're talking with each other. I'm I am a librarian, so yes. I cite, mm-hmm. I have, you know, mm-hmm. I write on this. That's right. So, you know, none of this is just my perception or,
0: you know, just anecdotes. This is all uh, grounded it's, in research. That's right. It's been documented. There is data. There is actual data that exists to support everything that we're talking about. Um, and we have to lift it up. And and I, yeah. I appreciate you saying again, right, you're a librarian. So that is that's where you reside. Um, You know, we're going to take a turn. Yeah. Just a little bit of a turn here because we could... We could have the whole show on this particular topic, but we're going to take a turn and, and talk about something that's coming up this evening. Um, something that I'll be watching, and that's the Golden Globes. Yes. Uh, and just, you know, I I have not But it is seen, connected, right? It, no, it's absolutely connected, and we're going to okay. talk about that, right? Um, I have not seen a lot of the films. I've seen some of the um, television shows. Um, I think we acknowledge that we've both seen Barbie. Yes. And we have both seen The Color Purple. Yes. Um, Yet The Color Purple as a film has not been nominated, but certainly um, uh, Fantasia. Yes. And Daniel Brooks have been nominated, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, And so when we think about the shift that, you know, we started to see um, with more folks of color on set, and and directing roles, what what does that how does that resonate with you? And I know you said you you haven't had a chance to watch as many, but you've seen the, those two. And I was really surprised by Barbie. I was pleasantly yes. surprised by Barbie.
1: I was. I, I mean, especially initially, right? Because mm-hmm. I think first of all, I played with Barbies. Oh, did Christie. you? I had, I had Barbies too. Yes, yes. I, yes. I love Barbie. You know, because I, I you know when I was younger, I was a playwright. You know, and I think I kind of got into that because you know I'd have Barbie doing everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I would, I really, you know, I really, and I also love fashion and mm-hmm. and love to, mm-hmm. you know, my grandmother taught me to sew. So Barbie for me was like a, that was like a, a both a catwalk as well as um, as well as high drama. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that it was nostalgia. Like a lot of us, we grew up with Barbie, you know, and also to the ideals around perfection and what women, you know, needed to look like. I was always resisting that. That was never mm-hmm. attainable uh, for me. So I didn't enter into Barbie kind of like looking for that. But what I loved about um, Barbie is to sort of think about ontologically, um, you know, women's agency mm-hmm. and an economic agency and also what happens when women pull together because you That's know, right. there's this adage, you know, that we heal together and particularly women, we come together to heal. So I saw a lot of that. And of course, the male gaze and kin and what is, you know, what have we turned the tables and really, which is what that was. That, exactly. You know, you had this sort of like world created by women. And then, you know, what is uh, men's role in that? And I think that gave us an opportunity to sort of see another perspective in terms of what it looks like for women if we imagine, you know, that this is a world in which we're just struggling, you know, for the male gaze. So I think that there was a lot for us to think about and around aging and all of that. I loved it.
0: It was it was so surprising. And, and I kept saying, how did Greta Gerwig get this past? <laughs> I, how, I mean, I mean, Mattel was listen, part of this. Listen. Was part of the, you know, of, of the executive production of this film, yeah. and I, I was just taken aback because I think many people went there thinking, oh, we're just going to hear about not just, but hear about Barbie, and it's going to be, in some ways, what we expect to hear about a doll, right? And right. that is not what we got. We got so much more than that. And we
1: got the founder of, uh, you know, Barbie's sort of like creator, you know, playing a cameo there. I don't know so much. I can't, you know, I can neither sort of like really defend or give you the, the history of Mattel. But what I <laughs> realize and what I remember is that earlier on than in other sort of doll platforms, if you will, you know, you had um, Christy and Chad, you know, sort of show yes. up, yes. Um, you know, as, as, as black dolls. And I remember really appreciating that because I was still young and enough mm-hmm. um, to see that where I, I really didn't see that in other places. And so I also appreciated the diversity, um, gender diversity,
0: all of that and that was It present. was incredible. And to actually have a trans person in the film and they were not playing a trans person. It was yeah. it was really a breath of fresh air and we just
1: keep going from here. You know, I don't, you know, I know I've see, I've seen a lot of takedowns of it as well, but the way that yeah. I sort of see the world is let's use this as a moment to just keep
0: build on it, to leverage it, right? It, right? Yeah. One thing cannot be all things. Right. And that's what I think sometimes we get wrapped up in. this. It didn't do this. It didn't do the other. It is one film. Mm-hmm. And it is one film that certainly for me was unexpected. And so to your point, let's leverage this and let's keep going. And because it's been such a huge success, yes. hopefully there will not be a concern about ha- you know raising these topics in films. Because as you can see, people continue to go to the film. Yes. yes, They ran to see that film. And then just a little bit about Color Purple, which I know we've both seen. Um I thought it was really well done. I thought it was. I Taraji
1: thought it, Henson was robbed.
0: Well, yes, <laughs> she should have been nominated. Oh wow, yes. She was and, a Yes, and maybe sure she will read. be. Maybe she will be. Um, but I, I, thought just incredible performances. Yes. Um, I thought it stayed pretty true, to the, you know, the other stories that we've seen, the other productions uh, that we've seen. Did you? Th- did it come across to you as a, as being radically different? Which is how Oprah. Uh, had categorized it at one point.
1: Not radically different, but I think that there was some backstory. We got we got mm-hmm, more, mm-hmm. A, a more insight. You know, one thing that we talked a lot about, you know, around New Year's Day is the ways in which um, so mm-hmm. many of the characters, whether it was Seeley or even Mister, inhe- inherit a lot of their modus operandi from ancestors, from That's their right. family, right. from, from they what they've seen mm-hmm. or haven't seen, the lack of tenderness or, you know, um, or ability to really relate and un- understand and honor women as as opposed to controlling them for Mr., but also for Celie, that resilience, like thinking about her mom, her mom teaching her how to sew, and then her ability to be a great seamstress and a designer of pants, which I think in a lot of ways are stand-ins for women's agency. I mean, all of that, you know, I think all of that was brought forth in a new way. I love the original. I was really challenged and triggered by the original. But I I also think uh, this version is an important one.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I will be crossing my fingers and lighting a candle and hopefully uh, Color Purple will get some recognition tonight on the Golden Globes. 7 p.m. Check it out. Yes. All right. Well, we're going to keep uh, things moving along here. And we're excited that after our next break, we're going to welcome Daniel Ash. So this is Living Out Loud. The I'm esteemed. here with Tracy Hall. Yes, Daniel the Ash. esteemed Daniel Ashe. Uh, so Tracy is here with me. You're listening to Living Out Loud. We're back in a moment. Thank you. We are back. You're listening to Living Out Loud on WCPT, 820 AM. And I am here having a fabulous time with Tracy Hall. How's, how's this going for you, Tracy? Oh, I
1: love it. I always <laughs> love being
0: with you. <laughs> this is great. Such great conversation. And we're going to continue in that vein. And we're excited to welcome a uh, friend and colleague and just an all-around really Lovely person. Stand up. Stand up. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we're going to welcome Daniel Ash, who is the new I, it's been, has it been I don't think it's been a year. We can still say new president and CEO of the Field Foundation. So good afternoon, Daniel. How are you?
2: Good afternoon. I'm I'm doing better now. I get to be with two wonderful, wonderful people. Um, so I'm happy to be here with you all.
0: Well, thank you so much. We're excited to have a chance to talk with you, and we know um, we have many things to talk to you about. And we're going to try to limit ourselves um, a little bit. Uh, but Tracy, do you want to get going?
1: Yes, absolutely. Daniel, we are so excited to have you here. And uh, we thought this would be a great opportunity to get to know you a bit better. And so what we'd like to do is to ask you a few questions. And I'm going to turn the first one over to Mary. And then I will come back and take
0: up a few more. Okay. And we're going to get going with our first question, we're having just a little technical difficulty, which we just figured out. So, Daniel, let's talk a little bit about your your leadership journey, and, and tell us a little bit about what you were doing prior to um, your role at uh, the Field Foundation.
2: Sure, Mary. I, um, so, usually prior to joining the Field Foundation, I had spent nearly 10 years at the Chicago Community Trust. Mm-hmm. Um, when I joined the Chicago Community Trust, I... I was the chief marketing officer and about five years into my tenure at the Chicago Community Trust, we had a leadership change that brought um, Helene Gale in as CEO. And when she arrived and we developed a new strategy, we decided together collectively to, um, that I would move over into the grant making side of the organization. And so I had the privilege of working a large foundation Um, first for five years with the goal of making sure that people understood and were aware of what the trust was and what the trust provided to our community and to raise resources that were dedicated to Chicago. So to have that experience combined with the opportunity to develop and lead a grant-making portfolio. So it it was a wonderful part of my professional development.
0: And led the way to the Field Foundation, where the mission is centering racial equity to achieve community empowerment through art, journalism and storytelling, justice and leadership investment. And that's a major um, statement, if you will, to make on behalf of an organization, particularly when you are really being very clear and deliberate about um, centering racial equity.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Attracted me to the opportunity at the Field Foundation um, was, first of all, let me, let me call this an opportunity to continue to build on the foundation that was set by my predecessor, Angelique Power, our dear friend, yes. who <laughs> she did the heavy lifting um, of moving the organization from sort of its past, which, again, was mm-hmm. filled with a lot of good work, to, to its present. Um, And what was attractive about the strategic framework that she advanced was that, in addition to centering racial justice and racial equity, um, she made sure and the board of directors made sure that there was a deep commitment to power building in communities that have been historically harmed by systemic racism. Um, And my sort of spin on this has been um, a, let's make sure we create the conditions for power building to occur, so that residents themselves, and we're here when we're talking about Black people, right? Black and brown folks in the city, right, have the opportunity to set their agenda and advance that agenda. So, as a, as a as part of my leadership journey, um, you know, I just found it very interesting and, and compelling, quite frankly, to build on the work of someone like Angelique, and, and I was, I'll share this for you, you two and our audience. Um, I shared with the, the, the headhunter, the search consultant that recruited me, I said straight away, I said, if the board is interested in um, setting aside the strategy that Angelique had put forth, I'm not right. your guy. Mm. And and I, that's that's I, I was told by you that that was somewhat um, unique uh, because nobody wants to disqualify themselves straight away from uh, a CEO search. But I, I was very committed to this idea that um, we do a lot of strategic shifting, um, strategic framing, right, and reframing. But at the end of the day, if we really want to get the work done, particularly around. Um, dismantling sort of racist infrastructure, getting behind power, building, in community, helping people advance the agenda that they need for their communities, particularly in black and brown communities. We need to stop um, spinning our wheels around strategy and, and, quite frankly, roll up our sleeves and do the work. And I felt that the Steele Foundation presented that opportunity. <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for shouting out Angelique. Um, Yes. You know, she's in uh, the Detroit area now and doing incredible work. But, you know, it feels like that continuity that, and thank you for thinking about continuity, but it feels that with that continuity, you know your own um, preparation and your experiences. You know really um, aligned with I think that vision and and I really want to steer this conversation specifically, uh, Daniel, which is why I was so um, excited to and really wanted to speak with you just to steer it towards Chicago in particular. One of the things that you know I think we are all seeing. You know all three of us has worked in in um, some aspect of philanthropy is that the irony is that as wealth disparity increases, the number of philanthropies, and thus the amount of philanthropic investment, is increasing um, in some areas. Yet, many would say that we're not seeing the proportionate uh, or radical improvement in the issues that philanthropy has focused on, like poverty, um, you know, working with the unhoused, public health access, educational and employment opportunity and mobility, that we're just not seeing the breakthroughs. Um, and, And I wanted to ask you, in your opinion, especially because you have been in the realm of communications um, and in grant making, is philanthropy in the aggregate taking a hard enough look at itself and whether or not it is really shifting uh, the needle um, or, you know, or is it becoming more and more performative?
2: That's a um first of all, Tracy, I appreciate that question because it's it's the type of question we need to do, to be um responsive to. Um I do think that um, there are leaders, many of my peers, who have emerged um in the community of philanthropy and we um collectively are asking these questions. Mm-hmm. Um I actually think that, uh, to your point, like, are we taking a hard enough look? Are we, are we digging deep enough? Um, I think that still remains to be seen. Um, here's one thing I want to lift up, sort of like in response to this question. I, I actually believe the point about continuity um, definitely carries forward to, the, to your question. I think philanthropy spends and has historically spent... Too much time navel gazing, right? Mm-hmm. We we as, as one of my mm-hmm. colleagues, we we love um, becoming enamored with the problems, with the challenges, right? <laughs> yes. and we yes. love. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're shaking we love. our head here.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
2: and um and and quite frankly, I think. Um, we work in an industry where we have access to capital, many forms of capital, not just financial capital. And I think we have to be much more aggressive and intentional and purposeful in directing that capital to tangible things that actually could move the needle, right? So for, for me at the Field Foundation, I want my leadership journey to reflect a commitment to um, doing the work sort of at the neighborhood level in such a way that it actually delivers results for people living in those communities and the work itself creates the momentum we need to advance the system level of policy change. We need to make sure that we don't end up back to the beginning. We don't end up um, having to solve the same problem over again in future years. Right. So, you know, there's often this sort of tension around, are we going to be dismantling systems? And building new ones, or are we going to be helping people access the housing that they need, access the on ramps they need to the labor force that they need? I feel, um, because of my commitment to this work, we have to do both. We have to operate on both fronts. And, and, and I think more importantly, it's important to note that the latter, you know, doing the practical things that are going to touch people's lives in a positive way. If you do it correctly, it creates the the platform or the opportunity to advance the the, the movement work the, the, that's going to lead to the system change that, quite frankly, our, our country and most certainly our city needs.
0: Yeah,
1: we are just nodding I know. our heads vigorously. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I guess I want to say that one of the things I've seen Field Foundation do is, is really make, Uh, resources and capital, if you will, available to folks who in the past have not been able to access it. I mean, smaller groups, right? Groups that are primarily BIPOC-led. And 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 groups in the arts who just have not had that access, and I I just want to say how much I appreciate that, and I appreciate that you have continued the work uh, that Angelique said, and and I love that you said that to uh, right. the recruiter. I think it's really important um, that you know when you're doing you know going to go into some kind of an executive search that you're really clear about what your your boundaries are and yeah. what your considerations mm-hmm. are. So thank you so much for doing that. Yes, and your own investment in mentorship. That's you know, right. You have
1: so. You have broken down. I know a lot of people are responding to what you're saying. Um, We're we were nodding our head vigorously. And you have shown once again, I think, why you it is so important to have you in this role. But we want to shift and ask you this question, Daniel. How do you decompress? What do you do for fun or for relaxation?
2: Well, that's it. <laughs> that it. Well, Wait. let me say this, you know, when, when you do the work that we all we all do this work, right? The three mm-hmm. of us. Yes. And, um, and I think we could all agree that um, sometimes it's hard to stay committed to finding the space to take care of ourselves. And yes. that's one thing I appreciate about some of my younger colleagues as a, I'm 50, I'm, I'll be 54 in a few weeks. And um and what I appreciate about some of my millennials and Gen Zers is that they, they're, they're very, very intentional about making sure that they, That's right. many of them, prepare themselves. And mm-hmm. so I, I I feel that I wasn't um, trained to do that. Mm-hmm. To be, no, you're right.
0: We were not. <laughs> no. um,
2: and one thing, as I, one thing, a commitment I've made, I, and quite frankly, I think the things I did to decompress weren't actually healthy for me, right? I, I mean, historically, I probably would drink too much and um and and so what i'm trying to do particularly over the last few years is um first of all exercise (laughs) um take care of myself physically
1: Mm -hmm. um
2: i've been i actually i know this is going to sound so so plain but it's actually (laughs) powerful for me but i in terms of like the music i listen to i i love music right and when i i found myself when i was having three young boys in my house for you know the last two decades, you know, I was listening to a lot of heavy, heavy <laughs> hip hop <laughs> and I was just like, I need to create space for myself to just relax. So okay. I, I spent a lot of time listening to um our sort of classic jazz standards. Mm. Um I even listen to beautiful classical music. I listen to wonderful what I what what they used to call on um on Apple now it's like sort of alternative R and B, right? Mm-hmm. So I like to give you an example. I was listening to Jimmy LeWells' album, her recent one, um, which is brilliant by the way, it's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. But I just found myself like just being able to close my eyes and allow myself to journey, right? Um, has yes. been the thing that I didn't allow myself to do earlier in my career. And it's through it's sort of it's due to art. You think about like art is so important to movement work in many ways, right? So it's, 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 it's art actually provokes dialogue about mm. important issues, but art also allows you to find pathways inside yourself that you didn't know you had or that you needed yes. to take care of.
0: Absolutely. Um, so,
2: so the, the music, the reading, um, the, the walking, my wife and I, and you know, my wife, Sarah, yes. Clark, yes. You absolutely. Know, we spent a lot of time, um, she, she she she's been first of all an amazingly positive uh, influence on me because she she walks a lot uh-huh. <laughs> and, uh, and you know just being in nature and doing mm-hmm. things like that. Um, so so again I I I share that and I, I, I because it's true. But I also want to share it because the folks who do the work that we do um, oftentimes don't create a space for the self-care because the work we do is so important, right? So we, we we think about it in the sense that if we don't do it, who else is going to do it? But if we burn ourselves out or, right. we, or as I would find myself drinking too much bourbon, then, you know, yes. you're basically undermining your ability long-term to be that's here right. and be yes. and be present, right? Absolutely. So I, just, I said probably maybe overly honest answer. No, we appreciate that. What, we God appreciate that. i you to take care of myself and, and why.
0: And, mm-hmm. and it's so important to talk about that and to talk about that we struggle around it, because that's real. And mm-hmm. so we appreciate you you sharing your strategies around that. We obviously could be talking to you for another hour or more uh, as well, uh, but wanted to get some insight into, yes, you're doing really important work, but we all, to your point, have to take care of ourselves. There's a reason why um, you are told on the plane to put on your own oxygen mask right. first, right? Yeah. We can't mm-hmm. pour from mm-hmm. ourselves if we're not pouring into ourselves. So, Thank you so much for the work you're doing and that all you're going to continue while you're at Bill Foundation. And we appreciate you being with us today on Living Out Loud
1: yes you know I'm thinking about yeah. as you as we close with this part with you Daniel James Bowen you know there's this quote I have um, posted he says um, they who find no way to rest will find no way to continue mm. and I think that you, you have really um, demonstrated that in just your thoughtful sort of closing so thank you so much we can I know that Mary's talking about reaching out and having you uh, you know in the in the seat mm-hmm. I'm occupying now and I can't wait to listen in when that happens <laughs> that's
0: coming Daniel.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to be there. And first of all, I I love you too. You, you two have um, had an amazing impact, uh, positive impact on our city, and and I, I just love being in community and being part of the journey with you both. So mm-hmm. hopefully, our paths will continue to cross
0: and, and,
2: and align to sort of in, in a way that makes our city um, and our communities better thank you so much
0: thank you thank you thank you Mm -hmm. Um, thank you so much and we will be in touch with you about uh, yes a little co-hosting but thanks Daniel (laughs) have a great rest of your day Uh, everyone you're listening to Living Out Loud and we'll be back in just a moment (laughs) With living <laughs> and here's a little bit about Morton Group, the sponsor of my show. Morton Group is a national consulting firm working with nonprofits, foundations, for-profits, and government entities. Our work helps organizations expand and deepen their impact by working on equity initiatives and executive placements, among other areas of focus. Reach out to us at info at mortongroup.com with any questions. And don't forget to listen in on Sundays at 1 p.m. on WCPT, 820 a.m. And we are back, just for a final few moments here um, on Living Out Loud. And Tracy, how's this been for you? Oh, I love,
1: I love it. Anytime I'm with you and. Um I don't know. There's something about spending time with you. I feel like I lose sort of like any of that self-consciousness, you know, Mm -hmm. that you might feel Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you just are a wonderful mentor in this area. So it's been really great. And hearing from Daniel, somebody Mm. that
0: I respect so so much much absolutely, was a highlight. Oh my goodness. It absolutely was. And we're going to have him back as well. And I'm so happy that we could bring Angelique into the space um, because we will a little bit later um, in the year. We'll be going back to Detroit for our fireside chat with Angelique. Angelique, that um, uh, we've been doing for the last sev- several years on my podcast, Gathering Ground. So stay tuned for that as well. But um, what do you have coming up that you want to share with us? What's what's sort of in front of you in 2024?
1: Oh, a lot. A lot of different things. Like right, right now, what's coming up is that I'm going to be um, spending some time at the University of London. Uh, doing some work on the impact of Brexit on libraries. Um, is that a
0: residency of sort? Or what yeah, is it'll be okay. a Scholar mm-hmm. Residence at okay. uh, the
1: University of London and really looking at the fact that as sort of an outgrowth of Brexit, um, the UK lost 25% of its public libraries. And of course, wow. those libraries were lost in communities that need them the most. Always. And because of that offers a cautionary tale, especially because of what's happening with censorship in the US, the legislation around censorship is closely being followed by um, legislation to defund or limit uh, funding for libraries. I, I want to be able to talk about what I've seen to write more uh, about that and to really make sure that we are aware as we mobilize not only around censorship but the support of libraries.
0: That's right. And of course, we are here in Illinois where we are a sanctuary state and we have a ban against book bans. First state, first state. Yes. yes. To have that, yes. That's wonderful. Um, so, and what else do you have? So, lots
1: of travel. Yes. Lots of lots of travel, study, writing, um, those kinds of things.
0: Yes. And what what do you? Doing while you're traveling, for instance, you were in Australia, yes. right? And you really try to connect and with the Columbia. local I was and Colombia yeah. with local communities. And how are you doing that? Yeah, well, anytime I'm asked to um, go to
1: a country to speak about, you know, some aspect of the work we've been discussing today, I always uh, say that as part of that, I want to really meet with the communities that are organizing around social justice. So in Australia, <laughs> most recently, I had the opportunity to meet with many members of the Aboriginal community. Um, you know. And um, actually, in uh, in Colombia, I got a chance to meet with um, the curators who are supporting the development of the first Afro-Columbia museum. So a lot of that is about just continuing to do the, make sure that I'm learning, and contributing. uh, You know, wherever I go, especially around issues around social justice. This sounds very exciting. And are you keeping a journal? You know, I. I, I'm always writing. I think, you know, I always take notes. Notes is probably my most used function on mm-hmm. my on my smartphone. So I'm not journaling in the traditional way, but I'm always making notes. How about you?
0: What do you have up? Well, I'm going to really get to it on, on the book I've been working on with another friend. And I'm going to try to finish the film about my brother. Yes. Yes. We're ready for that. Yes. I'm going to try to do that. And... um. Just try to be intentional, as I said, about my time. I mean, if I can do that, you got I'll it. be good. I'll be all good. And uh, speaking of all good, um, this has been an incredible uh, time with you. And I can't wait for us to do our podcast with Angelique. Um, June is not that far away, really. Yeah, it's right here. <laughs> but I want to thank you for being here. And I want to thank everyone for listening today. And want to thank Daniel Ash. Thank you, Devin. Next week, I'll be joined by... Kelly Cassidy, state representative. Wow. Kelly Cassidy, that's right. So very excited about that as well, because we've got to talk about what's happening this year.
1: And thank you for creating this platform. I have to say this. And thank you to Chicago Progressive Talk
0: as well. Well, thank you so much. You have been listening to Living Out Loud, everyone. This is our first show of the new year. We Yay. hope you'll stay with us. Uh, we will see you next week. Have a great one.
1: Have an incredible 2024, everyone. Bye-bye. The preceding program, Living Out Loud, was sponsored by Morton Group, LLC, and
2: to the extent applicable, their guests. The views and opinions expressed therein do not necessarily reflect those of Newsweb Radio Company or its management.